Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, February 27th, 2019. I'm Shannon, and I am joined by Stacy, Natalia, and Brooke. And we are here to finish up our two-part episode on own voices and diverse authors. And good evening, ladies. Hello. Hello. This is the second part of a listener request, and we are here to talk more about books that were written by marginalized authors. So authors who are either marginalized because of their race or ethnicity, because of their disability status, or because of their sexual orientation. But before we do that, I want to say hello to Brooke, who is new to Book Bistro and is having her book bistro debut today yay brooke yes we are <laughs> oh, we are very happy to have you um welcome welcome yes and we look forward to all the fantastic bookities that you will tell us about <laughs> so before we dive into tonight's recommendation recommendations i guess because it's not <laughs> like there's just one let us do the housekeeping things um, you can find us on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. Once you're there, you can like and or follow the page. You can also join our Facebook listener group where you can interact with us as well as with other listeners of the podcast. If you would like to get a hold of us for any reason, you can do that via Facebook as well, or you can send us an email, and that email address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. You can get a hold of us with questions, comments, um, if you would like some book recommendations, or perhaps you would like to give us some book recommendations, which would be fabulous. Um, whatever it is that you wish to tell us, someone will definitely get back to you. So that is the housekeeping stuff that I have for today. And we will get started. I will start us off followed by Stacy, then Brooke, and then, of course, Natalia. Natalia. Yes. <laughs> so my first pick for tonight is The Bells, and it is the first book in The Bells series by Danielle Clayton. I'm not sure how many um, books the series is supposed to have. I'm hoping for quite a few, but I do not know. So this is a young adult fantasy novel, and it takes place in a land called Orleans, which is kind of a reimagining of present-day New Orleans, but with some magical twists. And when you're born, everyone is gray. Oh. Like, their, their eyes are gray, their hair is gray, their skin is gray. Everyone just looks gray. And the oh. only way that you can become beautiful is if you have money to pay these people called the bells and the bells have some powers over the elements and they can make people beautiful. So this is not only like a lighthearted kind of fun fantasy novel, but it's also an examination of social class and beauty and body image and how all of these things relate. Our main character is a young girl named Camelia and she is a bell. So she can make people beautiful as long as they have the money to pay her to do it. 
And she loves her talent. Not only is she pleased to be a bell, but she wants to be like the favorite bell, the most popular bell in the whole land. She wants to live at the palace and wait on the queen. And she's just like really, really excited at all the possibilities that her bell status gives her. But once she arrives at the palace, she starts to understand that life as a bell is not everything that she thought it would be. There's a lot of things that she didn't know about being a bell. And then the queen comes to her with a very, very startling proposition. And Camellia has some very important decisions to make that have the power not only to shape her life, but the lives of all of the residents of Orleans. So this is a fantastic book. I loved it a lot. It came out last year. Um, I didn't read it right away. I'm not sure really why I waited. But now I'm kind of glad I did because the second book is coming out on March 5th. So by the time people are listening to this podcast, you will be able to go out and grab the second book, which is called The Everlasting Rose. But this one is The Bells, The Bells Book One by Danielle Clayton. That sounds amazing. You know me with my young adult hatred or not. No, I don't hate young adults. She said it. She said it. No, I don't. (laughs) I love you. My my dislike of the majority of the young adult genre until Shannon or Natalia start talking about one of these young adult books that looks really good to me. So that's going to have to go on my list, I think. That looks fun. The audio narrator is this British woman named Rosie Jones. She's wonderful. She is. I have not heard her before. Um, but I really liked her for this. So I'm hoping that she will continue on as the narrator of the second book when it comes out in less than a week. I found out that I could read a book by Courtney Milan. Um, and so I've never read any of Courtney Milan's books before. I know. I feel like I should be struck down because I have not read a Courtney Milan historical romance, but the Aries um, effect. The oh, Aries effect. I know. I'm going to have to. I'll check it out. The Duchess War. The Duchess War. <laughs> <laughs> but this this book I'm talking about is actually not a historical romance. I picked it up because it looked clever. Um, it's called Trade Me. And it's the first book um, in a series. And it's about a young woman named Tina. And Tina Chen is 20. And she is a, a first-generation Chinese-American And her parents came from China when she was six. And she remembers very little about her life in China up to that point. Um, Now, Tina is in college at Berkeley, at UC Berkeley. And Tina is always stressed out because her family is, um, well, they're poor, actually. And she ends up sending them money routinely to help pay bills because her mother, um, who is a baker at Walmart, um, often uses her money to um, kind of support the causes that she's passionate about, which is keeping um, Chinese people in the U.S. who are about to be sent back to China. And so um, Tina feels like she has a very heavy burden, and so she wants to be a doctor to avoid, um, so she can just take care of her family because they're not always taking care of themselves. And so she, one day at the beginning of this book, is wearing her favorite sweater. She found it for $3. 
at a Salvation Army in its white cashmere. And she thinks nothing bad can ever happen when she wears this sweater until she gets splashed with a plume of muddy water by a billionaire's son. um, and, And his father owns this tech empire. So I'm setting this all up because by the time Tina gets to class, she realizes her lucky sweater cannot be salvaged. Um, There's mud all over it. And then this boy named Blake, who is the son of this, uh, of this tech mogul sits down beside her. And in the class, they start having this conversation about poverty and food stamps. And he makes a sort of um, entitled comment. Blake does. And Tina goes off on him, like royally goes off. And what happens is he apologizes and offers to trade lives with her Whoa. for the rest of the semester. So she will have his access to his basically like his allowance, like what he would typically pay for something in a month. Um, and he will basically live her life in her craptastic converted garage apartment. Um, he'll work a, uh, a, a, you know, a job that doesn't pay much and, um, and, and she will step into his life because Blake is having some of his own issues going on in his life that um, he wants to resolve. And he thinks the way to resolve it is to step away and hide from all of his concerns for a while and try to live a different life to get his head back on, uh, get his head back in his uh, tech empire game. And so begins a beautiful friendship and a slow sort of building of information and and she Courtney Milan does a beautiful job of peeling back these layers to these characters very slowly and it's just really well done you learn more and more about who they are and she very seamlessly weaves into this book information about Chinese culture and um, you know what it's like to be um, a child of someone who still has very um, Chinese ways Um, and you know Tina loves her mother, but she often feels very embarrassed by her. And I'm just going to say one line from this. So she has brought Blake to dinner at her family's home for the first time. And her mother looks at Blake and says, oh, Tina, he is, he is so thin. A condom would slip right off. You may need to use two. Oh, my. Yeah. And, oh so, God. and so she's horrified and everyone, and she's embarrassed. And, you know, the, the father, who's this very quiet man, looks at Blake and says, well, you may think that she speaks this way because she is Chinese, but she would speak this way no matter what nationality she was. And I just thought it was a really neat, you know, I don't know. It just was a very interesting cultural experience, just this whole book. And I love it so much. And I think that everyone should read it. It's just beautifully written. And I've rambled on far too long about it, but the book is called Trade Me by Courtney Milan. And it's just delightful. I want to read it now. It's in the I romance package. Yeah, it's you really. You do this to me. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the first book that I chose to read is The Way, what's it called? The Way We Walk by Wab Kinu. And he is a Canadian broadcaster and um, a musician. He's um, indigenous. He's a very, he's very well known in Canada. Um, so his book is about his, he spent a year with just kind of getting to know his father. His father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And this book is kind of a book about hope and reconciliation. 
So he spends the year just kind of getting to know his father because his father is a very quiet man. And he, when he was younger, he was, he was sent to a residential school, which created a lot of um, emotional and just other issues within his life, which you kind of learn about how these issues kind of then moved on to be kind of intergenerational issues. So Wab, he talks about his life and how he, back when he was younger, had alcoholism issues, but then how he kind of worked past this to get to a sit to his current day where he's the he's a well-known broadcaster and journalist so the book was really well written I felt that it was it was it was very heavy like it's a very heavy topic um you kind of learn a lot about kind of the issues that are being faced by indigenous peoples in Canada but um he's able to use his father his experiences with his father to kind of bring these issues to the forefront. Um, one of the biggest issues that I had with the book was that while he's, his mother's white and his father's indigenous, but he, he very much um, writes in a, he supports kind of the indigenous view a lot more than the white view where he's trying to tell can like Canadians, he's trying to, tell us to be like to kind of go to this sense of reconciliation with the with indigenous problems but at the same time he's only supporting one side of the issue so that kind of that was one of my concerns and then I just felt that it was a really heavy book so it's not for everyone but it was definitely a book that if it, learning about the indigenous issues is something you would like to learn that it was it was well written so that was um the way we walk by wab Kinew. thank you sounds good it does actually well the first book i'm going to talk about is called sister of mine by sabra wolfogel and i geez i hope i said <laughs> the name correctly i think you came as close as we can I find. came as close as I can. <laughs> it just, it will not happen like Bonnie Turpin for me, the way she no. says so beautifully. But doesn't change how amazing the book is. So this book is really cool to me because it's about Judaism and slavery in the South. Uh, which is something I had never read. I didn't even know that there were Jewish people that ever owned slaves. It just didn't or ever occur to me to even put those two things together so it's pretty cool to to read about so this book is about these two union soldiers that get into a plantation it's 1864 you know civil war mid-civil war or closer to the end of it mm -hmm. and they find a union flag and they're greeted by three uh, freed slaves and a white woman to defend their plantation now uh that's that's where it starts and then we get the backstory as to what led to this moment uh so this lady or well she was a girl at the time her name is Adelaide and her father Mordecai was the only Jewish planter in the county and he gave her as a gift a slave 
Yeah, because we just give people as gifts. That's fine. Right? Yeah, that seems to be okay. (laughs) It it seems to be okay, apparently. Uh, And both girls become friends. Adelaide teaches Rachel how to read and how to write. And, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily feel comfortable owning somebody, even at such a young age. But then they discover a secret. It turns out that they're sisters. Because Mordecai is this gal's father, Rachel's father. And so this is a story of Adelaide and Rachel, because even though they are sisters, Adelaide is white and she has all those privileges. And while Rachel is considered a privileged slave because she's owned by Adelaide, uh, they just they don't understand each other. And so it's a lot of secrets, resentment, you know, some betrayal. And they just have to figure out how to be sisters without the circumstances of their birth getting in the way and so it's it's a phenomenal book i really liked it it was something i had not read uh i have i have read something like it but nothing this well done and i really really suggest it uh i think it's great to see how their relationship can grow and how they were able to surpass their circumstances and so and also, you know, the discrimination that they both faced, because even at the time, Jewish people were discriminated against, even in the South, even though they were rich and owned slaves. So it was very interesting, um, the kind of things that they all had to do in order to get by, regardless of the color of their skin. So this is Sister of Mine by Sarah Wolfogel. I think I said it right. And I really recommend it. Pick it up. I have to have this in my life, like yesterday. I yes, own do. it. I just haven't read it yet. And you say it's Bonnie Turpin if you buy the Audible version? Yes. yes. It's oh. Bonnie Turpin. I love I read her. It in like, I read it in one sitting. It was just so captivating. So my next pick is very different. This is Run by Cody Keplinger. And this is the story of two girls. This is another young adult novel. I'm very, very young adult heavy tonight. <laughs> um... In fact, I think I'm like young adult exclusive. Anyway, this is the story of Bo and Agnes. Bo is a young girl from basically like the wrong side of town. Um, her mother is hardly ever sober. She lives in kind of this like rundown house. People in town don't really care for her or her family. And it's kind of just known like throughout town that Bo Dickinson comes from like just a crappy family situation so people do not treat Bo very well Agnes on the other hand is a white girl who lives a very very sheltered life she's legally blind her parents are extremely overprotective of her and she wants to find a way to get out from underneath them Um, Through a kind of random meeting, Bo and Agnes become really good friends. And it's that kind of super intense female friendship that you can form in high school where, like, nothing is as important as your best friend. Like, nothing at all in your life can hold a candle to this, like, extremely special person. And that is how Agnes and Bo feel about one another. So when Bo shows up outside Agnes's bedroom window one night with uh, police sirens wailing behind her and tells Agnes that they have to get out of town now. Agnes doesn't ask any questions. She just follows Bo and the two of them are now on the run together. 
And this is not a good situation. Like, they don't have a car. They don't have money. This is, like, not a well-thought-out escape um, by any stretch of anyone's imagination. But they are determined that they are going to reach Bo's father, who lives somewhere out west. This is a... On foot? No, they're going (laughs) to, like, steal a car, um, which is... The blind girl isn't going to drive it, right? No. <laughs> no. Because um, that would be bad. There are a lot of things in this book that would be bad. Like, this is, I don't really recommend that people um, try this out. <laughs> but it is a fantastic story of a friendship, of trust, but also of disability. It's one of the best depictions of a blind character that I've seen, partly due to the fact that Cody Keplinger is legally blind herself. So she does a fantastic job of weaving Agnes's blindness kind of seamlessly into the story. It's a factor, but you're not necessarily reading this and thinking like, oh, this is a book about a blind person. I'm reading about, you know, the blind experience. Um, It's just a really really well done story I highly recommend it it's a quick read I think in audio it's about seven hours if you choose to read it that way Um, but it is really fantastic I'm a big fan of Keplinger's writing she's just very very insightful and smart so I do recommend if you're looking for a great book with a disability theme um, that you pick up a run by Cody Keplinger I'm so glad that disability was brought up um, as one of the books tonight, because I feel like there are so few own voice um, authors who write about this um, group. It's true. And and it's when you can find one that's really well done, it just is amazing. So again, I might have to swallow my young adult genre bias so I can read this if you say this (laughs) it's so so good okay I'll have to try and it's quick you know it's not something that's going to like bog you down yeah Um, the the writing the story is paced really well so you're not feeling like you're rushing through something but it's also not like a super long intense read perfect sounds like something I would love so can I talk about what happens when um you discover a new to you author and you fall so deeply in love with the writing style. You don't even know what to do. Sure. You can talk about that. And that author is Alicia, Alicia Rye. Um, she has been on my radar for a while and I just, for whatever reason, I hadn't picked up any of her books and I am going to do something that's going to make people so annoyed. I'm going to talk about the second book in a trilogy and I'm really sorry about that. I'm already that, annoyed. I know. <laughs> So annoying. I tried to convince her, you guys. No, I, tried I will to read it. I her. promise. I, 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 I ate crow after, and I said I, I need to go back and reread the first book. But this book, I read a review of "Wrong to Need You: Forbidden Hearts" book two by Alicia Rye. Rye, I'm saying that right, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, I read this a review quite some time ago, and I wanted to buy that book like the moment I read the review, and it wasn't available in an, in a format that I could read it in. So. I waited a long time for this book. So I'm going to just try to do it justice. But I just have to say the writing was so captivating. I just don't even know. These characters felt like real people. Like they were so well-rounded and three-dimensional. They just like leapt off the page at me. So we have Sadia and um, she is, did I say that wrong? 
I don't know. Oh, okay. I heard, I thought I heard somebody say something. Um, we have Sadia and she is um, a single mother. Um, her husband died a year ago and she has a six-year-old son. And her husband left her um, this cafe that is like a family legacy. And so she feels very strongly about, you know, keeping it going and, and, and making sure that it lives up to the, the family heritage for her son. But she's not happy in this role. You know, she has a lot of stress um, on her shoulders. And so sometimes she goes and she is a bartender to earn extra money, but to kind of get away from the sort of roles of widow and mother and cafe owner. And she goes to this bar and periodically she has these random hookups um, with men and women who catch her, her interest and they're quick. And it's always with people that are anonymous. And then she goes on and steps back into the roles of widow and mother and cafe owner. And it's how she deals with her day to day. And one night she is bartending and she starts fixating on this man's beautiful hands. She can't see his face, but she thinks that he has the most just sexy, amazing hands. And it turns out that it is her childhood best friend, Jackson, who is actually her deceased husband's brother. And he's been away for many years out of town um, because of a, a crime um, that, that most believe he committed. And so he's been gone. He has not spoken with her in years. But Jackson has come back to town because he wants to step in and, and help his, his sister who's going through some things. And he you know, really wanted to see Sadia and to meet his nephew, who, by the way, is so not a plot muppet, like so adorable, so fabulous um, in his own right, six-year-old. Anyway, so they, the two of them kind of begin tentatively um, to regain some of their their friendship um but at the same time Sadia is very distressed because she is feeling some non-platonic feelings for her best friend and it's you know also <laughs> the brother of her deceased husband so she's really working through some stuff with that and in the meantime she's also dealing with her family who is a very um very high achieving family they're all doctors and very, very intense about their work. And, and around them, she feels a bit like a failure because her life is on a different track. And it's just the thing that I, there's many things that I love about this book, but the thing that I love the most is I talked last week about this Priscilla Oliveris book and how family was, um, it, in the culture, family was like first. And, and in, in Sadia's um, family, it's family first as well. So people have said some unkind things to her and, and have done some unkind things to Sadia in the past, but it's still always family first. And it was very interesting for me to read about that. And that was sort of woven throughout the story. And, you know, it was a slow burn romance. Um, there's not a sex scene for probably at least the first half of the book, but when, when, um, when it finally does happen, it's not gratuitous. It's really beautiful and kind of furthers the story. And, um, it's, you know what I was going to say, it's the first time in a long time that I've just, I thought it was very hot and very, just very well written. So this book, um, is, is called wrong to need you by Alicia Rye and it's, um, forbidden hearts book two. And I'm going to run and read the first book in the, in the trilogy now because it's Natalia was right to want, Kate, to want you. Yes. Natalia was right. And I should have done that, but 
I'm really happy that I finally got acquainted with this author's gorgeous, gorgeous writing. So I'm feeling a little silly. I just wanted to make sure that I actually said the right title for my first book. So I'm just going to repeat it now and then I'll go on to my next book. So it's actually called The Reason We Walk by Wap Kinu. Oh, just want to make okay. sure that I actually okay. said that properly because I don't think I did. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but we will try to yeah, no edit that and make it. Otherwise, you can just leave it the way that I just did it. And that can just be one of my bloopers for when I'm better at this. <laughs> You're like, oh, I can't believe I did it. Um, so, the, so the second book that I chose for tonight was The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian. And it's by Shervin Alexi. And the main character, his name is... Arnold Spirit, but we call, everyone calls him Junior. So Junior lives on a, on a, on a reserve, a reservation, and he wants to be, he just has this dream that he wants to do more. He doesn't want to be stuck in a rut, and he doesn't want to be stuck as an alcoholic, and he doesn't want to be stuck in poverty. So he asks his parents if he can go to a school off reserve and his parents agree. So this book was really nicely written. It's very, it's very uh, entertaining and very humorous. He writes in a very uh, funny language. So you, he's talking about the life on the reserve and his life um, at this school where he's like the only he's he one at one point he talks about how he's the only Indian other than his the school mascot <laughs> who is also an Indian um, so he's talking about his his life and how there's different poverty and he talks about his family and how a lot of them are alcoholics and then he just kind of shares what life is like on the reserve and how when he's at the white at the white school, so he calls it the white school. He how he faces some racism, but uh, but how he's able to overcome this, and how he's able to meet friends, and kind of to better himself. And it's, he also talks about how he because he chose to go to this other school. He's also seen almost as a pariah or whatever at his on the reserve because they're like, oh, you just want to be better than us. So it's a really it's a really well written book. It's like supposed to be young adult, but I think it's more it should be probably a little more adult. So maybe like not young adult, but maybe like younger adult like the older spectrum of like the older end of the spectrum of new adult maybe like like older like what you would call secondary school the the things that are covered in it are a little too heavy for i would say the young young adult genre Mm -hmm. but um yeah so it's called the absolutely true diary of a part-time indian and it's by um sherman alexi i have two questions is it written like in a diary format like that kind of like epistolary 
novel where you actually feel like you're reading someone's diary? He writes, he kind of writes like he talks about like, he talks in a first, the first person. So okay. yeah, he definitely seems like he's talk he's writing it as though he's, this is what happened today. But like, this is kind of my life. Okay. Like, welcome to my life. And this is what happens every day. Like, these are kind of the bad things that happen. And then these are the good things that happen. So and there's also in the book, they actually have um, illustrations. So they have an illustrator that has kind of written, drawn these like like comics almost. Oh, so almost like a graphic novel before graphic yeah. novels were a thing. Yeah. And there was another question I had, but I don't remember what it is. So I guess I don't have it anymore. <laughs> so the next book I'm going to talk about is also by an author that I discovered listening to an interview. And her name is Miss Beverly Jenkins. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you say it's about this author? No, it's by her. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it's about her. I was just saying. Wait a minute. Then that would be mean. She was either like a vampire or, or right. Because if she was alive during the Civil thing. War, and then <laughs> <laughs> or like I don't know. <laughs> She's like one of those immortal like time traveler people. Maybe. <laughs> Somebody needs to go into the future. That's all I'm saying. So this book is by Beverly Jenkins. And it's the first book in her Old West series. And it's called Forbidden. And I always say this, but it really was something completely new to me also. This is post-Civil War era. So we kind of, we always read about, at least I always read about, um, either African Americans in slavery era or contemporary or maybe like in the you know, not in the Civil War, but in the World War Two, you know, that kind of thing. But I've never really read between the years of like 18, you know, 65 and 1900. Not very much, maybe because I haven't found anything or uh, because it just hasn't been brought to my attention. But this book is about Edie Carmichael and she was wanting to go to California to open a restaurant there because she feels like she'll be able to and uh, she's african-american and she's free and i believe she was born free so this is you know she was born right as the civil war ended ah. and her life gets basically while she's going there she gets mugged by these men and her life gets saved by a gentleman named ryan fontaine and you know he's very kind very rich man he's been very good to edie Except there's one problem, uh, which shouldn't be a problem, but it was a problem back then, which is why the book is called Forbidden. Edie is African-American and Rind is white. Dun, dun, dun. And, you know, they're really falling for each other, uh, except, you know, Edie doesn't isn't going to let what she's feeling for Rind stop her from moving to California because the best she can hope for is to be his mistress you know she would never be able to you know marriage i mean think about it marriage in this country between mixed races was allowed in what like 1960 or 70 yeah that's crazy to me me. i mean it's not really that long ago if you think about it my parents were already alive back then (laughs) and um so you know the most she could hope for is just being his kept mistress and she wouldn't have you know she wasn't going to be able to marry him or have kids with him or anything like that um legitimately and she just didn't want that kind of life she had a whole different idea of what her life was going to be like and now rind really really cares for edie but he has a secret 
And his secret is that he's not white. He's actually African-American, but he's so light-skinned that he's been able to pass for white in order because he was taught to pass for white so that he could have all the opportunities in life that at the time were not open to a man of color. And so is, is the, are these feelings that he has for this woman worth him breaking all that? Because if he outs himself as African-American, a lot of things in his life are going to change. And does he do it? I guess you're going to have to find out by reading the book, right? Forbidden Old West Book One by Beverly Jenkins. That is very high on my TBR. I've been wanting to read that specific one for a long time. So, so good. Yeah. So, so good. I yeah, really and like the other books in the Vivid series are good. by her. Vivid, did you say? Yes. Yeah, about a female doctor. Ooh. Yeah. yeah that's, that's always good. It was pretty great. I like female doctors and. I, I just I, I love reading books about about I guess marginalized people in eras where the ignorance was so great and and seeing them you know move forward with their lives and and do what they want regardless in spite of that. So my next pick is very very hard for me to talk about because I love it so 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 much, and I could just sort of like go on and on and on for a couple hours I could have an episode just devoted to this book so I'm going to try to be you know reasonable and concise so this is History is All You Left Me by Adam Silvera and this is the story of Griffin who is a high school student his first love who is a boy named Theo has recently died in a terrible drowning accident and Griffin is having a really hard time coping. He can't figure out what his life will look like without Theo in it. Now, what you learn as you read on is that Griffin and Theo had been broken up when Theo actually died. Theo moved to California to go to college, leaving Griffin behind. And Theo had even started to see another guy. But Griffin never really gave up hope that one day Theo would come home to him. And so now that Theo's gone, like he's just having to re-examine pretty much everything that he has thought that he knew about himself and his life for the past couple of years. So we see things kind of in two timelines. Um, We go back in time to see when Griffin and Theo first met and we get to watch their marvelous relationship unfold and it is so, so sweet and lovely. And it just is it, one of the best romantic relationships I've read about in a very long time. Um, so we get to watch that happen. But we also are watching Griffin deal with his grief. And what does he do when the only person who really understands how he's feeling is Jackson, who is the guy that Theo started seeing after he moved to California? So there's a lot that goes on here, Um, a lot about being comfortable in your own skin, knowing who you are and really being able to own that. Um, It's a huge testament to the power of first love. It also looks at guilt and grief and survival. It's just a fantastically beautiful story. The writing is lush and evocative. It will make you cry. You know, you want to have a nice supply of tissues when you read this. 
Um, it's just, it, it's everything I love. And I love it especially because it's a young adult novel. And it really speaks to kind of these, you know, awkward, like, gay boy high schoolers who don't, don't know who they are and don't know how to be comfortable as who they are. And it's just a fantastic story. Please, please, please pick it up. Again, it's History is All You Left Me, and it's by Adam Silvera. His other two books that I've read, I've read one and I have another one sitting here, are a little bit fantastical. Like there's one called They Both Die at the End, which has this like weird like death cast thing where this place calls you and tells you that you're going to die. But this one is very, very realistic. You have no, no fantasy here, no time travel, no nothing. Um, it's just a fantastic contemporary young adult story. And I love it so very much. It sounds really it good. Is. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to Oh, it please do. It's so, so beautiful. I mean, yeah. And, and it's, it's very hard to be a young adult in general. Being a young adult and different is even harder and and trying to feel comfortable with who you are and realizing you will never fit in no matter even if you're not different and um i I just feel like this book is going to be so good it is so so excellent i read it like back oh gosh 2017 i think it's one like i've never ever forgotten yeah and, and also you know that first love bug it hits us all and we never forget so I'm sure we can all relate to it. I'm still with my first love. Cool. That's amazing. <laughs> that, that I like that. I just had to say that. No, that's good. I like that. That's cool. I, I guess technically I am too. <laughs> technically? Yeah, well, my, me and my first love have been together for 18 woo! years. Yeah, technically. Yeah. I met my husband when I was five. And I went home and... Okay, that I told my mom that. that I met the boy I was going to marry that day. And Aww. I did marry him. Aww. Um, twenty years later. <laughs> that is so I love cool. it. I do too. You know, but that was like the beautiful first love. But there's always that young adult love that that destroys you. <laughs> All right, Miss Stacy. All right. The final book I'm going to talk about tonight, I'm going to try not to like levitate and twirl when I talk about it because I loved it so much. And I read a review of this book a couple years ago, and it's how I learned about Alyssa Cole. She wasn't somebody that was on my radar. And so I read the review and it was so glowing and there were so many things that attracted me to this story, but it's the second book in a series. So I had to read the first book first. So I'm not going to talk about the first book in the series, which was An Extraordinary Union. I'm just going to say one thing about it, which was I wanted to love it. And something about it just didn't quite work for me. Um, And please don't come at me with your flamethrowers or anything, everyone, because I loved the next book, which is the one I'm going to talk about. But there was just something, the pacing or something about the first book that didn't work for me personally. But I agree with that. Yeah. And so it took me a while to decide to pick up um, A Hope Divided, The Loyal League, book two by Alyssa Cole. And now I wish I hadn't waited so long because it is truly one of the most epically 
fabulous books I have read in so incredibly long. So in this book, we have um, Marley, and she is young, and she lives with her mother. She's free. She's a free um, black woman in the South living with her mother in the forest or somewhere. And her mother is an herbalist of some sort. And she is the woman that everyone comes to when they have aches and pains. Um, she also does some sort of voodoo type things. Um, and she does some charms and things if that's needed. But all of a sudden one day when Marley's about 13, um, this grand carriage pulls up outside their little home. And this very elegant white woman steps out of the carriage and says, it's time for Marley to join her family. And Marley's like, but this is my family. This is my mother. And so she is, uh, her mother is very insistent that she leave everything she knows to go and live in this plantation um, with her family. And so Marley grows up here and, and she sort of tries to figure out, you know, is she, you know, how to, how to kind of, assimilate into this white world. Um, and so she becomes more scientific than, um, you know, into things that are sort of voodoo and that type of thing. And she, um, she's one of the family, but yet she's always set apart and she, um, helps her sister, Sarah, with, um, doing things for the, basically the resistance I'm, I'm completely blanking. That sounds like a lame is term. <laughs> like the, um, the, like the abolitionist. The, yes. Like the, like the underground railroad, like the, you know, in the South. Um, and so she helps and she does things. She, she goes to the prison. She helps um, with some, you know, she still does her healing herbs and things. So she works with some of the prisoners to help, you know, heal them. And she also passes, passes decoded message or, you know, secret, messages in written in books that she shares with prisoners. Um, and that's how they communicate in prison is a man named Ewan and Ewan's very interesting. He's very socially awkward. Um, he is not good, uh, in conversation. He's very analytical and he's very book smart, but has always had trouble relating to people. And he meets Marley and interest and instantly has this connection with her. And just just wants wants to be with her. And, and Ewan is white and Marley is black. And so there's some challenges there in, in both their minds. But then all of a sudden things get really um, intense when, when um, Ewan escapes from prison and is hidden in the plantation. And then many other things happen in this book where the pace just never lets up. It is just nonstop. Once you get to... I don't even know, like chapter four, maybe like the, the pacing is just exquisite. And the thing that I liked about this book so much is that it really examines um, just family and place and where do you belong? You know, Sarah, um, who was the, the white um, family member was, you know, she loved Marley. She truly did, but she would say things to her like, well, yeah, but your soul is white to her and Marley felt very hurt by by comments like that and and you know Sarah being a, a product of her time didn't realize that that was so hurtful um so she had a very complex relationship with her family um and with with the slaves um at the plantation as well who were not you know who were working there and 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 she is you know has all the advantages that they do not have 
and then there's a love story and there's a, you know, horrible villain and, and, a, you know, they have to run away. So anyway, I, I'm just, I cannot do this book justice. It is probably one of the most amazing things I've ever read in the history of my life. The pacing is perfect. The romance just moves at a gorgeous, I just love everything about it. So if you get a chance, check out A Hope Divided by Alyssa Cole, The Loyal League book two. And the new one just came out and I'm blanking on the name. I was going to say it. And I, and I talked about it. Conditional freedom. freedom. That's right. Cause I talked about it in, um, I think it was mostly anticipated or maybe it's from yeah. books. And I'm very excited to read it now, especially knowing I, I feel a little bit more like I I've connected with the, um, the hero of the book, um, after reading, um, hope divided. Oh. Yep. It's going to be really good. I can't wait. Yes. I think, well, it came out on the 26th, so by the time people are hearing this, it will have been out for a while, Yeah, um, and I am super excited for it. So the third book that I chose is called Indian Horse, and it's by Richard Wagamese, and it is a story of Saul, Indian Horse, and Saul has hit rock bottom. He is an alcoholic and he is in a treatment center and they have asked him to write a journal about his life and in an effort to help him overcome his addiction. So you, the, his, he starts out when he's young. So his, uh, his, his journal begins when he's young and you learn about the tragic situations that lead to him losing his not only his brother to tuberculosis but also his he loses his parents to another situation and then his grandmother to another situation um then he's left i think he's about five or so and he is nobody so he's sent off to saint jerome's um residential school and you learn about his experience at the residential school and how people just kind of kids would go missing and kids would come and just things were happening that were not great um he joins he learns that the school has a hockey team and he really really wants to be part of this hockey team because he just thinks it's a it's great like the sport just sounds like a great sport for him so he they said that he's too young so they only they have like a certain age that they allow the students to join so in secret he has arranged with one of the the priests that he can um clean the ice in the morning as one of his little jobs because uh one of the things at the residential school is each kid has like a job that they do to help out so he cleans the ice, and while he's cleaning the ice, he decides that he would like to learn about hockey. So he starts practicing hockey secretively. So he starts learning to skate and learning all the different hockey stick moves. So he's practicing by himself in the morning when nobody's around. So um, at some point along the way, he gets to join the team, even though he's still really young. And... Um, you get to learn about his just his his journey on the team, and a lot of the a lot of the book is kind of him and his journey within his his like life in in hockey leagues. 
Um, he's adopted by a family and taken away from the residential school to give it. And he gets a he gets an awesome family. Like he's he becomes one of the family, and he's able to play hockey with um, with the with the team that is part part of that town kind of thing. So he's playing hockey as well as going to school outside of the residential school. And he, he, he you kind of just learn all this thing. And he ends up like on some getting drafted by like a big um, NHL, one of the NHL teams. Um, and then you kind of see how there's a lot of racism that he's facing because he's one of the only Indian hockey players like there's really no like he's there it's all it's a very very white sport so he's facing a lot of um racism and in the end racism just kind of gets in the way and he ends up quitting hockey Um, and he goes and he just kind of falls into this hole of alcoholism and that's why he ends up at this um at this like treatment center so that's kind of, and then you have this whole, you learn more about what actually happened to him when he was at the residential school and how hockey was kind of hiding what happened. So I don't really want to say what happened because, well, I'm sure people could probably guess, but also it kind of gives it away because it was kind of like, oh, really? Like it was kind of a surprise at the end. It wasn't really a surprise, but it was a surprise at the same time. Because it was kind of a surprise because we were like, oh, I, I totally thought something would have happened. But then you're like, oh, nothing happened. And then all at the end, and you're like, oh, something happened. So it, it, it was kind of that kind of surprise. If that makes any sense at all. It kind of does. You know, you, you like something builds up and then you kind of convince yourself that. It's because, you know, like, if you know the stories about residential schools, you're like, you know that bad things happen yes. there. Like sexual like abuse, rep. physical abuse, yes. and stuff like that. So you're expecting that to happen, but then you're like, "Oh, it so it didn't." And then at the end, you find out that it actually did. And so it's a really, really well, well written book. Like I loved it. I couldn't stop reading it, even though it was a very, very tough subject to read about. Um, I loved it. I definitely would recommend it. It's actually been made into a movie. Oh, wow. And um, my, my aunt told me that the movie is beautiful. Like, it's, it's amazing. So the book is called Indian Horse, and it's by Richard Wagner. Beautiful. Sounds like something I want to read. The next book I'm going to talk about, and the last, brings us to contemporary 21st century USA. The South. This book is called An American Marriage by Theari Jones. And it is about Roy and Celestial. And they just gotten married. They're two young African-American people. Um, and they're very successful. You know, they're just starting their lives. They just got married. He's a young executive. She's an artist. And then their lives are torn apart. Because Roy gets accused of rape and convicted of rape and not only does he get accused and convicted of rape but he gets accused and convicted of raping a white woman ouch 
And you're thinking, oh, well, this is 21st century. That shouldn't matter. But yeah, it still matters, apparently, because even with his wife testifying that he was with her the entire night, uh, he still got convicted and was found guilty and was sent to prison. Uh, He was given a sentence of 12 years in prison. So um, this is a talk about how it how it affects them as individuals. Uh, Celestial and Roy, and how it affects their marriage. You know, Celestial is not in prison, and her career, you know, she still has a chance to work on her career. And um, she knows her husband is innocent, of course, because she really was with him when the rape supposedly occurred. So, you know, she knows he didn't do it. But at the same time, she's living this life on the outside. And what, what could they possibly have in common? And, you know, Roy, what keeps him going is that he knows he's innocent. And that his wife is on the outside and he knows his wife is waiting for him. And um, so this this book is just really great about because it's about justice and what it means to be African-American now uh, in this day and age. Because, you know, we, we always kind of, at least me, before I became an adult in, in school, I always read about, you know, before everything before before but we don't even we don't really talk about now you know we go to this history history classes and we don't talk about what's going on now what is our current where where what are our current events like what's the current state of affairs so i feel like this book really reflected that as far as family life um as far as being even if you're two people in the same race just being from two different states equals two different cultures even in the same country which is interesting was interesting to me and you know it also talks about the injustice that that happens uh in our in our justice system i think it really reflected that for me so this is an american marriage by tayari jones and if you want to know what happens between roy and celestial i feel like you should pick it up this was a book that i started on a sunday morning because i couldn't sleep I woke up too early and I just laid there and I don't think I even turned around. <laughs> I don't think I even switched positions and I just read it from beginning to end, cover to cover. And I I knew I would like it, but I didn't know I would like it quite as much. It's a hard, intense read. It's something right. that, you know, like I had trouble. I couldn't just like fly through it. I, I had to step away from it um, a couple of times. It right, was yeah. a hard read. All right. Well, that does it for us this evening. Um, Thank you to Brooke, Natalia, and Stacy for sharing with me some fantastic recommendations. Thanks, as always, to the excellent Christine for all of her editing. And of course, thank you to all of you who have joined us on our Book Bistro journey. If you would like to let us know how we're doing, you can do that. Um, by going to Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show, and you can leave us a rating or a review. Not only does this let us know what you think of us, but it also helps other book lovers find their way to the show, and that is never a bad thing. So I will be back on Tuesday morning with more new release information, and some number of us will be back next Friday with more discussions of bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.